Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, and welcome to this, the very first Explaining History podcast of 2016. Hope you guys all had a great Christmas break. Um, Mine was spent devouring, as you can guess, a variety of history books I received, all neatly wrapped. Um, But anyway, less of that chat, and let's get on with uh, talking about something that actually matters. So today I'm going to talk about the state of India in 1945 and the very dim uh, prospects for the continuation of the British Empire in India. By 1945, it was patently clear to um, most um, people, most Indians, um, that the the uh, Raj's days were numbered in uh, possibly even into months. Um, it wasn't at all clear in Whitehall that this was the case. The um, representatives of the British government uh, in um, Southeast Asia, the likes of um, Archibald Wavell, the penultimate viceroy of India, and um, his successor, uh, Lord Louis Mountbatten, they could both see that the empire was on the critical list and they urged Britain and they urged the both Churchill and his successor, Clement Attlee, to tread very carefully in, in India. Um, it might have occurred to both men that the, the empire was uh, a, a busted flush, it was done. Um, as a result of the Second World War, um, there, there may be some evidence, I think there might be some evidence that they thought it could limp on in, in some guys, some reformed guys with perhaps Indian Dominion status. Uh, Mountbatten's an interesting character because um, one of his great detractors, um, uh, Dorman Smith, who had been the uh, previous governor of Burma, um, who loathed him, saw him as an aristocratic, almost like an aristocratic socialist, a kind of champagne socialist, who had um, a combination, a curious and slightly contradictory combination of various kind of hierarchical and patriarchal views 
combined with a kind of a radical progressive uh, nature and a, a reforming, a reformist zeal, um, and then kind of an egalitarian outlook. And Mountbatten knew that the the empire was in serious trouble by 1945, when there was almost no desire on the behalf, on the part of ordinary indians to see subhas chandra bose's indian national army uh, the uh, who the men from the indian national army who had been captured or who had surrendered to see them prosecuted for treason or prosecuted for uh, any of the the war crimes that the ina had um, committed uh, along with pretty much everybody else uh, in the Southeast Asia um, region during the war. And the um, fact that INA men, when they were repatriated, uh, they were given dishonourable discharges from the British Army, many of them had, from the British Indian Army, many of them had been British Indian Army soldiers first, and repatriated back to India. Um, when they got off the trains, they were handed garlands of flowers by complete strangers and cheered and seen as a legitimate army of liberation of, of India. And when you have those kinds of uh, values and beliefs um, replicated on, on uh, all the way across India, there's simply no way for a few hundred thousand uh, British administrators and soldiers to even hope about ruling a subcontinent of hundreds of millions. It shows us, interestingly, the extent to which India had had to have been ruled by some kind of consensus, some kind of um, uh, acceptance of British power um, since the 18th century. And the moment that Indian people choose not to be ruled by the British anymore is really the, the moment that the, the empire ends. Now, obviously, across Southeast Asia, um, particularly in Burma and Malaya, you have all manner of uh, nationalist movements and communist movements and uh, national liberation politicians uh, causing the British all sorts of headaches. But none of these troubles really are... Um, anything compared to the obsession that the British have with uh, retaining India or at least doing something with India, uh, something, um, you know, finding some kind of um, way of governing it within perhaps a Commonwealth or um, as part of as one of the kind of the dominions of empire. Other nationalist leaders, such as Aung San in Burma, looked um, to India with a kind of dismay. They believed that the questions, the, the nationalist questions in Burma should be, and Malaya and other such places, should be resolved first, or at least not overshadowed by the nationalist questions in India. And there was a fear amongst smaller Asian nations that a an independent India would become a, a kind of a greater Indian Republic and um, would you know, perhaps swallow up its neighbours or become the regional hegemon once the British had gone home. And Jawaharlal Nehru was at pains to prevent this from becoming a, a kind of a, a popular idea, though amongst certain members of the Congress Party it is an extremely popular idea. Um, very rarely do you get countries... Um, 
come to kind of national liberation moments. Very rarely do you get them um, experiencing these moments of um, uh, of liberation from a kind of a controlling empire and not have key individuals uh, within the political or cultural sphere um, thinking, well, what next? Where could we go? Well, you know, now we're independent, we could actually kind of rule this whole region or, you know, expand our borders or or what have you. So that that was um, an idea that was certainly circulating at the time. After the general election of 1945, of course, it's not Churchill any longer who's loathed by Indian nationalists who's calling the, the shots. It is a Labour Prime Minister, Clement Attlee. Attlee had served on the Simon Commission of 1927, which was a constitu- constitutional inquiry um, into the future of India. It didn't include any Indians at the time and was greatly resented and there was a feeling by Indian nationalists that the the opportunity that they might have had to um, decide their own fate had once again been hijacked by by, um, white British people. and they also accused the Simon Commission of being um, a device for dividing and ruling between Hindus, Muslims and, and Sikhs. Um, Nehru um, and Sir Stafford Cripps, who would come to India during the war, part of the Cripps mission, um, uh, were both um, fellow travellers on the left, you know, um, overt, not simply kind of... Cripps wasn't just simply a Labour politician, but a... Um, explicitly socialist in his views and he was the chancellor of the exchequer in the post-war government um and he um he came from a kind of a rich fabian heritage he was related to beatrice webb um and the, but the two had really fallen out as a result nero and cripps had fallen out as a result of the cripps mission in uh, in 1942 um and the cripps mission had attempted to create a kind of a, a constitution for India where the Simon Commission had failed, and it too is, is unsuccessful. So by the end of the war, um, there is no um, constitutional future for India or no constitutional settlement planned out for the, the post-war world. And yet you have um, a Labour Party which is at least nominally committed to uh, Indian independence, uh, the progressive wings of the Labour Party had viewed imperialism as a, a sin for um, for much of the the kind of the interwar period. One indication of uh, Attlee's intent was the appointment of Lord Pedic Lawrence as the Secretary of State for India. He had been um, involved with the kind of the issue of of Home Rule since um, the nineteen twenties. Pedic Lawrence and his wife who had been one of the early suffragists, um, and uh, were um, equated, really, the, the battle for suffrage and the battle for kind of uh, the rights of working people in Britain, to also the struggle for um, suffrage in India, the struggle for um, uh, a, for a um, sovereign government in India. Um, to think of the Labour Party in the 1940s as being um, overtly socialist is is often a kind of a, a mistake, really. I think what you're looking at is something, a, a kind of a, a crusading 
um, Christian Liberal Party, if you will. It had all the elements of kind of Gladstonian morality with the um, desire for dramatic state intervention that had really been born kind of of 1906 of the the kind of the people's um, the people's budget era and they found a, an ally in india um in the guise of gandhi gandhi um combined um hindu ideas and and very many christian ideas as well because it's always ignored how many christians and the influence of of christians particularly as a result of um visitations by syrian christians to india um, throughout the, the 18th and 19th centuries. But there are a great many Christians in India, and India is actually suffused with, with Christian ideas. Um, Gandhi was a, a great fan of Tolstoy, and, and Thor saw, as Tolstoy did, a great deal of potential in the, uh, in the, in the ordinary peasant people of India, and peasant organisation, and that there was something kind of essentially moral and decent coming from, from the peasantry, which would shape the soul of India. Both Tolstoy and Gandhi had this combination of, uh, in Russia and India respectively, of these very spiritual ideas uh, about the, the direction and the, the, the future of, of society. Um, so the, the Labour Party found a kind of, a, you know, after Nehru and Cripps had kind of fallen out, they, they find a, a more compatible uh, person in the guise of, of Gandhi. Gandhi was very popular with the grassroots of the Labour Party and had been since his visit to Britain between the wars. Um, but actually, Pedic Lawrence distrusted him. He thought he was a divisive figure. He thought that he was perhaps angling for a civil war with India's Muslims and that um, he was in- intolerant and incapable of compromise. I don't see that there's a great deal of evidence to support what uh, Pedic Lawrence had to say, but the fact that he was saying it anyway is nonetheless interesting um, and gives us a, very, a, a much more rounded view of Gandhi. And unfortunately, like... Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Martin Luther King or Winston Churchill, he becomes one of these figures from the 20th century that is so mythologized um, that it's very difficult to engage critically with him, um, you know, particularly uh, it, particularly the figures that are enormously kind of 
revered or canonized um, it's very difficult to to look at them as human beings with you know inevitable feet of clay but if there were suspicions of the the congress and also the british government had suspicions of um, muhammad ali jinnah's uh, muslim league um, this was reciprocated tenfold um, the the congress had learned not to trust the british throughout the the last uh, last two or three decades um and they had learned also not to trust not just to tr- to mistrust the conservatives but also labor as as well um the crips mission particularly and its failure in 1942 and the inability to strike a compromise between britain and the congress had um, really dis- really um, raised all sorts of suspicions about Labour um, in the eyes of Indian uh, the Indian Congress movement, and the Indian Congress movement was anticipating the possibility of a Labour government after after nineteen forty five, um, and was mindful of um, of Sir Stafford Cripps and the, the example he had set, but the the strength from which Congress were now able to speak wasn't born of a kind of just rhetoric alone it was born of the new realities of the uh, kind of the, the post-war world the indian army had fought extremely well during the second world war it had fought in burma it had fought in uh, egypt in the middle east and it had fought also in italy and um indian servicemen um you know the Indian Army was a million strong. It now it had developed a huge war industry uh, from 1942 onwards um, in order to support it, and um, it had fought its way to Rangoon. You know without uh, any any hesitation. Um, it's, it's fair to say that the Indian Army is perhaps one of the great overlooked fighting forces of the Second World War. Um, when you have uh, in northern Italy the you know Sikhs, Hindus, and Muslims taking on the SS, um, which indeed did happen, you 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 tend to realise the extent to which they are kind of whitewashed from the the, the pages of history, which is a, a real shame. And uh, noticeably, this um, as I was drifting around Waterstones the other day, there are a number of really interesting new titles about India at war, which I shall be talking about uh, in in due course. But um, the British army had lost Singapore, they'd been forced out of Malaya, they'd lost Burma, and attempts to reclaim all these territories took an immensely long time. Um, the various camp- Arakan campaigns in Burma were of uh, limited success, and the re, um, reinvasion of Malaya was only possible really um, because of the detonating of two atomic bombs on Japan. Those happened before Britain can uh, land. When uh, a landing does happen in uh, Malaya, it happens largely unopposed. And had it been opposed, it would have been uh, a massacre. The uh, there are all sorts of. Uh, huge logistical problems, getting men off boats. The beaches are uh, not suited. The landing grounds are not suitable. Um, so the, the the Japanese essentially allowed uh, the British to uh, recolonise Malaya because 
the war is essentially over. So looking at these facts, um, the nationalist movement in India is, is greatly encouraged by the fact that it, it has a powerful fighting force behind it, um, which is almost certainly uh, would declare for Congress if it, um, if, if it came to it. Um, and uh, India is a society that has been, as all wars of this nature are, it becomes awash with, with, with arms and munitions. And the evidence of that uh, can be seen in the, the bloodshed that follows during partition. So um, the, the facts on the ground very much uh, decide the outcome um, of, of independence. Um, the war has revealed huge weaknesses in the British Empire, and it is... Uh, revealed, um, it has kind of galvanised and radicalised the uh, military and industrial capabilities of India. The British make a um, fatal mistake in trying former members of uh, Subhas Chandra Bose's Indian National Army at the Red Fort at Agra, and they are um, essentially cannot be uh, convicted on grounds of, of treason and are given what amounts to a slap on the wrist. But they skillfully use, um, and the with Congress Party lawyers, and the Congress Party is kind of full of lawyers, um, they use um, the opportunity to debate the rights and wrongs of the issue. And they, they essentially say um, that they were a um an army fighting for a sovereign government the uh, ina um the um uh, bose's government had been recognized by various nation states admittedly ones that didn't like britain any very much like uh, ireland the republic of ireland um but it had um some degree, you know some clear degree of uh, moral legitimacy it had a territory to work from the andaman islands in the indian ocean um which were have uh, been claimed as sovereign territory by bose and um they were working towards the liberation of india from an occupying power and this and they said well is that not really the the whole point of the Second World War to liberate places from um, illegal occupation by imperial powers that had deposited themselves uh, against a reluctant population? Surely that was that's what the whole war was was about, and there wasn't a a, a jury in India willing to convict them. The whole thing is a epic PR disaster for the British. Um, the British um, who could see that the trial had backfired even before it had ended. Now, Nehru was um, not necessarily jubilant about the role of a, a newly um, military invigor militarily invigorated uh, Indian army or the Indian National Army. Um, he, he thought that India would obviously, after independence, need a, a strong uh, defence force. But um, he wondered whether the INA faction would be more trouble than it was worth, whether perhaps it would be um, too radical or perhaps you would have a, a scenario uh, like Parliament faced in, after the Civil War with a, a restless new model army uh, demanding, um, a, you know, demanding its own share in power. Um, something 
perhaps like that. So he eyed um, this all with um, immense suspicion. But perhaps the most pressing problem for Nehru and for the British um, in India was Bengal. Bengal during the war had experienced famine, it had been on the front line facing Japanese invasion, and it had also been um, the home for uh, countless um, Burmese uh, and Malays who had fled um, in, um, their homelands in, in uh, advance of the Japanese and the and also um, Indians and British who had been colonisers in Burma and Malaya who had also fled and had in fact been particularly the Indian uh, colonisers um, who had been encouraged to settle in Burma had been the subject of a kind of a, a Burmese nationalist ethnic cleansing uh, with the uh, tacit approval of the Japanese uh, in 1942. Uh, so you, you've got this um, st- state in uh, on India's eastern border which is uh, awash with um, firearms of displaced people with an immense amount of anger which had been the um, victim of a uh, terrible famine that killed three million for which both the British and the Japanese um, have kind of equal responsibility uh, in causing um, and it is a kind of a, uh, a powder keg waiting to explode Punjab had traditionally been a uh, centre of anti-British terrorist activity um, and there is uh, a violence is kind of equally shared out between uh, nationalist agitators and general kind of banditry and gang- uh, gangsterism um, during 1945 as the ability of the British to effectively police um, Bengal uh, goes into steep decline. All of this would have been um, greatly um, appreciated by the uh, recently departed, recently deceased Subhas Chandra Bose. Um, you can check out my previous podcast on, on him, um, as he was a Bengali. Um, and in Bengal, he was a uh, widely, immensely respected individual, um, as was his family. Um, and the uh, moment that normal and inverted commas, normal political life returns to Bengal. There is immediate um, unrest, um, protest, and and chaos, and rendering it largely ungovernable. And it was, of course, kind of Bengal and Calcutta, which were the had been the the first um, places that had been colonised by the British, and it was essentially the the birthplace of the British Empire in India was the first place really to declare a kind of a de facto independence from uh, British law and order. So that's really um, the the status of, it, of, of India in 1945. I mean, obviously, uh, India limps on for another two years and, until independence. But I think what you have in 1945 is a, a situation where um, an Indian national government is not yet established, but a, a British government uh, of India um, and the the Viceroyship of India um, has virtually lost the ability to, in certain parts of the country, to rule and has certainly lost in most parts of the country any kind of legitimacy 
And it's that loss of legitimacy that makes the end of empire a, um, a, an inevitability, which again leads us to an interesting conclusion, and it suggests that to some extent empire is predicated on a degree of consent. Um, at least it must be predicated on the degree of, um, sir, of inter- influential and or ruling classes in India agreeing to be uh, part of the imperial project. Okay, so I'm glad you found that useful. Now there is a much-awaited 2015 uh, book review of the year, which I've been working on, and due to a variety of geographical ups and downs during the Christmas period, has yet to make it to you. So it will be coming later this week, if slightly belated, um, and I'm sure you can pick up some of these brilliant titles in the sales. Anyway, I hope you guys all have a terrific 2016, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.